Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. If you have a copy of the scriptures, and I hope you do, uh, open up, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. There are a few other passages of scripture we're going to look at, but that's where we're really going to camp out uh, this afternoon. So um, at the beginning of summer, we buried my wife's uh, maternal grandmother. Uh, She was 92 years old. She was tired. She was done. Uh, She was ready to go. But her life had been um, pretty bumpy, pretty tragic. Uh, Her faith in Christ was was always very fragile. Um, My wife's uh, paternal grandmother, however, is very different. Uh, She's also 92 And she's very jovial, um, very squishy. The kids love hugs from Granny. And she always has a song in her heart. And every time I talk to her, I'm like, Granny, how you doing? She's, I am doing so good. The Lord has been so good to me. She's on a walker. She lives alone. She is an extrovert of extroverts. And yet she sees almost no one all week long until she gets to church. But you will never hear the lady complain. Well, as I was helping her get from the graveside, of Janet's maternal grandmother to the car to go home, as Granny was walking past the undertakers, she yelled at them across the cemetery, I'll see y'all soon. (laughs) T totally freaked them out. They're like, like, should we get a a shovel? I mean, like, how soon is soon? I mean, she's just cackling her whole way to the car, and it just struck me how deeply she lives hope. This is the Advent season. It is a season where we sing about hope. We read about hope. We talk about hope. But this afternoon, I want to dig into the one who is our hope. Um, Of all that we celebrate during Advent, maybe it is hope that rings most deeply in our souls. Charles Wesley penned these words many years ago. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Hope, Christ is our hope. Would you pray with me, please? Father, because you are our hope, we come gladly to you. We come joyfully to you. We come filled with hope into your presence because we need your spirit to teach us. We need your spirit to counsel us. We need your spirit to unpack the reality of this truth in your word in our hearts today. And we're so thankful for the promise that when we come to you, when we ask of you, 
that you gladly do that. You gladly lead your people in truth. And so it is to that end that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you think of the word hope or hear the word hope, what, what comes to mind? Promise. Promise. Yeah, good. What else? Optimism. Optimism. Yeah, good. One more time. Light in the darkness. Okay, good. Expectation. Good. Something to hold on to. That's right. So all of these are, are true, at least, but there's more. And when we look at the pages of Scripture, in fact, that is the story of the Old Testament of the nation of Israel, a people looking for hope, right? Hope is that sort of peculiar, intangible thing, that feeling, that sense of expectation, that sense that there is something more, that sense of longing for what has yet to be. Right? So we're anticipating something that is maybe a long way away, something that is far off. Isaiah would say it this way, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will hope in him. The psalmist in Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is abundant redemption. The psalmist also said, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. There is a tremendous sense of waiting and anticipation woven into the word hope. There are two words, or there are several words used in the scriptures for hope, but two that are important. The first is yachal, which means to wait. When we think about Noah waiting for waters to recede, or even the nation of Israel waiting for the Messiah to come, uh, that word would be employed in that way. But then there's also the word kava, and the root of the word kava means tension, it's it's like a rope that's being pulled too tightly that might burst. There, so it is, the word hope then is waiting with tension. There is something that, that we're longing for, something that we need but cannot quite reach, something that we cannot quite find. You and I know now, because we know the rest of the story, that what we're waiting for, what we're longing for is Jesus. But that story goes all the way back to the beginning, doesn't it? In the garden when as Adam and Eve were experiencing judgment, they were also experiencing promise that one day the head of the serpent would be crushed by the seed of the woman. Already woven into the story of the fall was hope that it wouldn't always be this way. There was a deep sense that life was one day going to be as it always should have been. And that's why at Advent we celebrate the hope that is ours in Christ. The word Advent it means coming. It means to, to be with us. That's what we celebrate. And as we remember Christ coming the first time, our hearts are naturally turned to hope for his return. Maybe no story in scripture illustrates that better than the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist. You see, for generation upon generation upon generation, the nation of Israel knew that a Messiah, the promised one, the chosen one, the Christ would come, but, but the details were a little fuzzy. How that would happen, when that would happen, 
was in the hearts of many unsure. Now, when we look back over the pages of Scripture, because we can trace that scarlet thread through Scripture, it's not that unclear. (laughs) It's not that fuzzy. But you have to remember that at this time, the nation of Israel had experienced generations of oppression by the Roman government. They were envisioning a Messiah, a Christ who would come as a warrior, a Christ who would set them free. And indeed, he would. But not at all as they were anticipating it to happen. So it would have been easy to lose hope along the way. In fact, Scripture says that hope deferred, hope that is put off, hope that waits, makes the heart sick. The story of hope, though, we see here is tremendous. Look, if you would, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Zechariah was the priest who had been chosen to enter into the holy place to make sacrifice for the nation of Israel. Now, that spot had been chosen by lot. Um, In other words, they sort of rolled the dice to see whose turn it would be. There was a reason for that. It was a pretty important role, but it was also really weighty. In fact, a rope was tied to the ankle of the priest who would go in because if for some reason he angered God and was struck dead, they needed to have a way to pull him out without having to go into the presence of God. To go into the presence of God was weighty. TC was talking about how God is now with us, how God is now in us. We sang about that. For the nation of Israel, that was not a concept of God that was familiar to them. He was distant. He was far off. Yes, he loved them. Yes, he was merciful, but he was hard to know. And Christ has brought him near and filled our hearts with hope. So as Zechariah goes in to make sacrifice for the people, he has an encounter with an angel. Now, sometimes when we think of angels, you know, we quickly turn to trinkets at Cracker Barrel and precious moments. And those are not really very angelic, are they? You know, these chubby little cherubs. Um, Like, that's just not at all. Every time. The only exception, actually, to this is recorded in Matthew's gospel when he, the angel goes to Joseph. And it doesn't record Joseph being afraid of the angel. It says that he was afraid to get married to Mary. (laughs) So, like, he was afraid of marriage. He wasn't afraid of the angel. Everybody else that meets one of these dudes is gripped with high holy fear. Like, they're just waiting to be struck dead. And, and Zechariah was no different. Zechariah, this priest of Israel, Zechariah, this man of God. In fact, Zechariah and Elizabeth were known for their godliness. They were known for their faithfulness. They were known to love him and his word. And yet when Zechariah encountered this angel, he was stricken with fear. And of course, the angel, as they often begin their conversation, started with, do not be afraid. And he goes on to say that John the Baptist the forerunner of Jesus, the last, hear me, the last Old Testament prophet would be born through Zechariah and Elizabeth. He was the last prophet that would come before Jesus, the Messiah. He was the one who would fulfill the last prophecies of the prophets before the anointed one. So look, if you will, in verse 11, and we'll pick up from there. So an angel of the Lord appeared to him that is Zacharias standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias, or Zechariah, depending on your translation, was troubled when he saw him and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you will give him the name John. That's exceptional for several reasons. Zechariah and Elizabeth were not just old, they were ancient by many accounts. Not really. They were probably my age, which I noticed some of you, like I've got one foot in the grave and another on a banana peel. But, right, 
So they, they were old by some estimations. We don't know how old, but we know they were old enough that they couldn't have children. They were advanced in years. But the angel continued, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he'll turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. There are a couple of things going on which aren't actually the point of the conversation that I don't, would take a long time to dig into, but I don't want to miss. Number one, all that is happening here in verse 17 particularly is the angel repeating Malachi chapter four, verses five and six, where it was explicitly said that the forerunner before the Messiah would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Jesus would go on later after news of John the Baptist's arrest when he was talking to his disciples and he said, born of women, there is no one like John the Baptist. And he said, and if you will receive it, he is the one who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Jesus affirmed what Malachi would say of John the Baptist and what the angel is saying to Zechariah now. Another important point is that the angel is saying that the role of John the Baptist will, yes, be to prepare the way of the Messiah. But how is he going to do that? He's going to turn the hearts of fathers back to their families. This is not extra. This is not parenthetical. This is not a footnote. When the family, and I mean the family, mom and dad and kids, when the family, the reason God created family is because God lives and exists in community. And as a family, we are the sweetest, purest reflection of the gospel to those around us. And that is why scripture uses family language for the people of God. Being the family of God matters. And so for redemption and wholeness and restitution and hope to be rooted in the family just only validates and affirms the power of the gospel. Verse 18, and Zacharias said to the angel, this angel he's just previously been terrified of, how shall I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So this guy is moonlighting for Hallmark. Happy birthday, honey. You are now advanced in years. I mean, this is not a great description. Clearly, Elizabeth isn't hearing this, thankfully. And I love this bit. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. That's angel speak for who exactly do you think you are? Who exactly do you think you are? I'm bringing you words of life. I'm bringing you words of promise. I'm bringing you words of hope. I stand in the presence of the living God. Something else that Gabriel is saying is, it is as good as done. For it to be spoken out of the heart of God, through the messengers of God, it is as good as done. And behold, well, he says, I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you this good news. That word there is gospel. And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering at his delay in the temple. 
So there are a few things that we need to see in this passage. And again, I would really encourage you in this week of hope, this season of Advent, a season of remembrance and preparation to go back and do some good digging, but just some immediate things that pop out. Um, When God says it, it is as good as done, but also for you and for me. Uh, Looking around this room, I don't know all of you. Uh, In fact, I don't know most of you. But those of you I do know, I know you've walked with God for a long time. I know you've experienced great victory, and I know many of you have experienced great sadness. But what I also know is true is that Zechariah was a leader of the nation of Israel. He was from the line of Aaron, the brother of Moses. He knew better than anybody the promises of God and the authority of the word. And yet somehow, some way, Zechariah had arrived at a place where he could believe the promises of God for Israel, but he couldn't believe the promises of God for himself. Sometimes for you and for me, maybe we know the word so well, we sing the songs so sweetly, and we, we live our lives as if we are walking bumper stickers of the gospel, and yet down in the depths of our soul, or even in the watches of the night, what is actually reflected out of us is that we absolutely know God is faithful for you. We absolutely know that the promises of God can be trusted for you. But do you believe they can be trusted for yourself? Do you believe that this hope that was for the nation of Israel was hope for you? Zechariah could believe that a Messiah was coming. He just couldn't believe it was coming through him. Zechariah could believe that a prophet would be born to make straight the highway of our God. He just didn't think it could happen to him. And here is the beauty, one high holy clue of what it means to walk with God is that he is absolutely determined to do everything he has intended to do in and through you for his glory and for your good, if you will just allow him. Do you know the only impediment to you walking deeply with the Lord and having robust discipleship is you? You have the Holy Spirit, you have the Word of God, you have the community of believers, you actually have everything that you already need. You possess what he already has given to do absolutely everything he's already called you to. So did Zechariah, but he couldn't believe it. And so because he couldn't believe it, he was silent throughout Elizabeth's entire pregnancy until Not even when John the Baptist was born, it was time to name him, which if you know anything about Jewish culture, doesn't happen immediately. But everybody had gathered and everybody was celebrating and Elizabeth is saying, look what God has done for me. Look how he has had favor on me. Look at his mercy and grace. And towards the end of chapter one, we see the rest of the story unfold. That John was born in the fullness of time. And as they were trying to gather information about what the name of the baby should be, Zechariah still couldn't speak until they assumed they would name him after his father. And Elizabeth said, no, no, no. And Zechariah took a writing implement and he wrote, no, his name will be John. And at that moment, his tongue was loosed. At that moment, he could finally believe that what the angel who stands in the presence of God already knew to be true, it was as good as done. Zechariah finally understood that. And he said, his name shall be John. And then he goes on beginning in verse 67 to worship God. His high, holy encounter of God changed his life forever. That is the story of hope. Now, What does that mean for you and for me? Well, 
The reason that Zechariah could hope was not because his circumstances had gone the way he wanted them to. The reason that Zechariah could hope was not the power of positive thinking. The reason that Zechariah could hope was because of who his hope was in. And we have the same opportunity too. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Born again to what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfailing, kept in heaven for you. It doesn't matter what today holds. It doesn't matter how rocky this path is. Our hope is in our God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ as well. Romans 15, 13 continues. Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That's a perfect Advent verse, isn't it? So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The anchor of our hope is Christ himself. Now, the timing of our hope. Just in case you're wondering, I already told you that Scripture says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but Paul would go on in 1 Corinthians 13 to talk about how faith and hope and love remain, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Well, now why is that? Well, because one of these days, you're not going to have any more faith, right? One of these days, you're not going to have any more hope. Why? Because we have faith in what we do not see. We have hope in what we do not possess. But one of these days, a day is coming when absolutely everything our hearts have ever longed for, everything our souls have ever desired, when we see Jesus face to face, we will be forever and completely filled with joy and with love and with peace. But we won't have faith anymore because our faith will be made sight. Our hope in Christ will be fully and teetotally satisfied. Isaiah pictures it this way. But the Lord will rise upon you and the glory, his glory will be seen upon you. All nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Verse 18, violence shall be heard no more in your land, devastation and destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor the brightness of the moon by night. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. John, the apostle, saw a very similar vision of what the end will be, where our hope is anchored and in who it is anchored in. And I saw no temple in the city. Why? For its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. He is our hope. 
Yes, he is our joy. Yes, he is our peace. Yes, our faith is rooted in him. But the longing that we have most deeply centered in our souls will be most fully realized in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this Advent, as we remember when he first came, this Advent when we remember that he is Emmanuel, God with us, this Advent when we look back and know that every single prophecy was fulfilled, this Advent when we remember the words of Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, this thing will happen. Our hearts also must look ahead to one day the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first and he will call his people home because he is our hope. So Father, it is to that end that we worship you because you're our hope, because you're our life, because you're our peace, because you have rooted us in you. And so we join with Zechariah, we join with Elizabeth, we join with saints of old, and we join with your church today in proclaiming that you are our hope. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.